Well, good morning. It's nice to be back here. It's a few years since I was last here, which uh, just proves that memories fade. Um, we are looking this morning at uh, the last few verses, or, or almost the last few verses, of Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24. This is um, Resurrection Day, and in the evening of that day, Jesus appears to his disciples. So let me read a little bit of this. I'll read from uh, verse 36 of Luke 24. While they were still talking about this, that is um, the fact that Jesus has appeared to the disciples on the Emmaus Road, uh, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when we start talking about God's plan and our part in God's plan, the, the reaction of some people seems to be, really, God has a plan? Um, you, people, all of us, at sometimes, we look around the world and we think, it's, it's just, what is going on? I, there's such a mess. There's so many broken lives. Hearing about the Harbour Counselling Service just now, dealing with people who have sometimes very broken situations and uh, sometimes smaller struggles, but some of us have encountered profound brokenness and difficulty. And we look at other parts of our world and we see just chaos and drought and natural disasters and warfare. And we think, really? God has a plan in all of this? We're often more inclined to ask, what is the world coming to? But that's an interesting question, isn't it? What is the world coming to? Because that that expresses our bafflement uh, and sometimes our despair at the state of the world. But if we're Christians, what is the world coming to also reminds us that actually if we do look ahead to what the world is coming to, then it actually gives us a bigger perspective on what is going on. Um, And that question of, of God's ultimate end for the world, the fact that God does have a plan, then ties in very closely with the question of what am I supposed to do with my life? I, I, I can't quite sense the direction of my life. I don't know which way I'm supposed to be going, what career to take. Uh, relationships may be difficulties. All, you know, all kinds of questions over our personal lives. But what am I supposed to do? Ties in with that question of what is God doing. But what am I supposed to do? Where do I fit into it? It's an important question for all of us, uh, whether or not you do have a career track planned out. Uh, as I normally do first thing in the morning one of the my first actions in the day when my brain is beginning to function a little bit is to find out what's going on in the world of twitter um and and this quote was on this morning um from a friend of mine who's down in new zealand at the moment and uh, it's a quote from Alistair mcintyre christian philosopher in his book after virtue who says i can't answer the question what ought i to do unless i have already answered a prior question of which story am i a part 
The question of, of where am I going, what's, what my life is all about, what am I supposed to do, ties in with the bigger question of what God's plan is, what God's story is. Because that is the story that we are invited to be a part of. And we need to see where, we're, where we fit into God's story uh, to be able to make sense of our lives and to be able to find the right direction for our lives, to know not just what the overall direction of our lives is, but, it, but to shape our lives day in, day out. Because if we have a sense, a clear sense that I am part of this great story of what God is doing in the world, that puts a profound significance on even the the smallest of my encounters with people. Casual encounter in Waitrose or on the bus can be a part of what God is doing because I am part of the great story of what God is doing in history. And, And understanding that story is exactly what Jesus is helping his disciples to do on this first resurrection day. So he says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. Everything must be fulfilled. That is very clearly saying, everything leading up to this point is pointing towards this moment. He is the fulfillment of everything that's happened. Jesus, Jesus' coming into this world was not um, God suddenly saying, do you know what all that Old Testament stuff? It's, it's gone wrong. It's failed. We'd better send Jesus. It, it's not an emergency plan. What Jesus' coming, his death and his resurrection, was the fulfillment of God's long plan, his eternal plan. So what is that plan? Let's uh, unpack this a little bit and see what the big story that we are a part of is. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That is the center of human history, the hinge of human history. Everything focuses on that one point. Everything before that point was leading up to it. Everything since it, since that moment, is following on from it. And everything revolves around it. There has been no more important event ever in the creation of the world. The Messiah suffering and rising, a day, uh, rising again. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So he's talking about himself being the fulfillment of everything that's happened in the Old Testament, and he's making sense of all of the past. Everything in the Old Testament is leading up to this moment. And then, in verse 47, going on from here, repentance um, and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations. So he's making sense of the story that has been, and he's making story, sense of the story that is to come, and, and locating these disciples in the middle of it. But to understand what the, what the implications of all of that are, we need to go right back to the very beginning of the Bible, and to understand that human beings are rebels against the holy God, and therefore we deserve God's judgment. Human beings created at the end of Genesis chapter 1, in God's image. Genesis 1.28. Uh, why don't we read it for a second, just so that I don't go misquoting it. Um, uh, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Human beings made in God's image and likeness. We reflect God's, uh, some of God's characteristics. 
We are relational beings. We have dignity. We have moral freedom and responsibility. We have intellectual capacities. We are creative, aesthetic beings. There's so much that we could say about what it means to be made in the image of God. But we know, if you've been around churches for, for long at all, you'll know that the story very quickly goes sour, doesn't it, in Genesis chapter 3, because those people made in the image of God for an intimate relationship with God grasp after a kind of freedom that God had not given them. He'd given them immense freedom, but they wanted freedom on their own terms. He'd given them great wisdom, wisdom enough to be able to look after the entire creation under his authority, uh, to be able to care for it on his behalf. But they wanted wisdom on their terms. They wanted to make their own moral choices. So these first human beings, Adam and Eve, they, they grasped the fruit and they grasped after uh, independence from God. And the image of God within them was damaged, broken, twisted, corrupted. So that we no longer just produce beautiful art, we produce pornography. No longer are relationships based on openness and intimacy. They're characterized by uh, shame, blame, accusation, exploitation, sometimes violence even, deception. Our relationship with the environment is, is, is soured. Everything about humanity has gone wrong. And yet we're still made in the image of God. The glory of being God's image bearers is still there. So we are rebels, we are corrupt, we are broken, and we are under, rightfully under God's judgment because we have said we can be God, we can decide, and we don't need God to do it. And that puts us at odds with the one who created us. And the Bible is very clear that there is no alternative uh, to that action. There is, no, there is no easy way out from that other than to be under God's judgment. Rebels against the holy God deserve judgment. And again and again in the Old Testament, we're told that the nations are under God's judgment. God chose one nation, the nation of Israel, through which to reveal himself. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. They were to be... Uh, both the, the way that God revealed himself to the world and a model of what it means to be in relationship with God, a model of how to be put right with God. Um, but they made a mess of it too. They reinforced those first choices of Adam and Eve and constantly turned away from God following other gods. So both Israel, Old Testament Israel, and the other nations, again and again we're told that they are under God's judgment because they are rebels against God. So how about this, for instance, from uh, Isaiah 24? The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. Therefore, earth's inhabitants are burnt up, and very few are left. God is a holy God. How can he just ignore the rebellion and the sinfulness, the wickedness of the people that he's created. And our default position is to be under God's judgment. If, you're, if this is the first time you've wandered into a church, this doesn't sound like particularly good news, does it? And it's not. But that is the reality. If we set ourselves against God, and every one of us has, we face judgment. And yet, the Bible is also full of this second strand that God is a God of grace. God is a God of goodness and mercy to people who don't deserve it. There is nothing about us that warrants this kind of treatment. It is all about what God is like, not about what we are like. And so right through the Old Testament, you see these two 
threads interweaving again and again of God's judgment on, on rebellion and wickedness and yet God's grace to people who don't deserve it. So God does call uh, for himself first a family, first Abraham, to, uh, to leave his home and to go to the place that, that God has called him to go to. And he promises uh, great promises to him and to his descendants. Eventually they end up with the, the nation of Israel with whom God has a very special relationship in order to, to communicate with other nations, as I've, as I've said already. And yet, again and again, we see this grace, this goodness to them, gathering people together to, uh, to have a relationship with them. And yet they turn away from them and they face his judgment. And God's grace goes beyond Old Testament Israel. It goes beyond to all the nations, as we'll see in a moment. So, of course, this is the mission of God. The whole reason this happened, um, that, that, that God intervened in these kinds of ways in the world, the whole reason Jesus came is because God is on this great mission. His ultimate mission is to create for himself a people that will live in an intimate relationship with him for eternity. His mission is to bless the nations. And it goes right back to Abraham, who I mentioned just now, back in Genesis chapter 12. Might be worth just turning back to this for a moment. If you're using a church Bible, I'm not giving you page numbers, am I? I'm just re- assuming you can find your way around. You'll find Genesis 12 on page 13. At this point, Abraham is called Abram. And uh, the Lord had said to Abraham, right at the beginning of chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's a promise that's reinforced to Abraham in chapter 15, again in uh, chapter 18. It's reinforced to his son Isaac and to his son Jacob. And God says, through this line, through Abraham and his descendants, I am going to bless the entire world. All of the nations will be blessed. This is God's mission, to bless the nations. Despite the rebellion, despite the wickedness, despite the fact that um, both then and now the majority of nations pay little attention to, to God and to his ways. And yet God still longs to bless. God still is at work in the world. How does the blessing come? Firstly, supremely, it comes because of Jesus. I said at the beginning that the, the pivotal point in human history is uh, immediately before this uh, incident that we read at the beginning uh, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus' death and his resurrection. His death on behalf of fallen, rebellious humanity. This is the ultimate demonstration of God's grace. It is, and it is something that we know is, if you've been a Christian for any time at all, we know it's open to everybody in every nation. And this is the, the, the kind of the pinnacle of the blessing through Abraham. Because everyone can be, can be brought into the family of God. Everyone can have that rebellion against God dealt with. But it's not just that. We'll come... We'll unpack that a little bit more in a moment. But this is a key point. And Jesus says, it is all, all leading up to me. Everything must be fulfilled 
in uh, verse 44. Everything will, must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That means the whole of the Old Testament. Those are the three parts of the, uh, the, the Jewish uh, Bible that we call the Old Testament. The law of Moses, the Torah, the prophets, and uh, the Psalms is representative of, the, of, of a group of uh, books in the Old Testament that the Jews call the writings. So all three parts of the Old Testament, the entirety of the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, he is the fulfillment of. Because he is the fulfillment, the great fulfillment of that promise to Abraham to bless all the nations. Interestingly, this is the second time this day that Jesus has explained this to, to people. Because just before the instance that I read, which is in the evening, while they were still talking about this, I started, verse 36, Jesus stood among them and said, peace be with you. But that's the second time this day he's talked about the Old Testament. Look back up to um, verse, um, well, just flip back over the page, uh, and you'll see from verse 13 onwards, it's uh, an account of two people uh, going to a village called Emmaus. Uh, This is on that first Easter morning. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he said, what's, what's the matter? Why are, you, why are you so upset? Why are you so downcast? And he said, do you not know everything that's been going on? Jesus of Nazareth was a, was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, verse 19, and all the people, he was sentenced to death, he was crucified. We hoped he was going to be the one to redeem Israel in verse 21. It's the third day since all this took place. But then some of our women this morning amazed us. They went to the tomb and didn't find his body. They told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And our companions went to the tomb and they found it empty. And they just don't know what to make of it. And Jesus says to them, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Twice in one day, Jesus is unpacking the the entirety of the Old Testament with some of his followers to explain to them why it was all culminating in him and his death and resurrection. And with you're probably familiar with some of the Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus' coming. If you were around over Christmas, you'll have heard some of them, them then, some very familiar ones. Uh, the, uh, the root from the stump of Jesse in uh, Isaiah uh, 11. Um, the, the people walking in darkness, seeing a great light. and the, To us a son is born, to us a child is given in Isaiah 9. Uh, a, a ruler from Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5. Lots of prophecies looking ahead to Jesus' coming. Um, Isaiah has this stunning picture of uh, the figure we call the suffering servant, looking ahead to God's promised rescuer, suffering on behalf of his people. But do you ever think, where is the resurrection prophesied in the Old Testament? I, I don't actually remember reading it in the prophets. There's, I mean, Jonah was, was in the fish three days and then came out again. And Jesus himself said, no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. But, but is that it? Is there, is there nothing else about resurrection? You can spend a very long time looking and it seems oddly absent. Well, it is there. We'll see how it's there in just a moment. But Jesus is saying he is the fulfillment of all that's come. He is the great king. Israel had this succession of kings. 
particularly David, the, great, the greatest of kings, and his son Solomon, the wisest of kings. And Jesus is, the, is the, the greater king, the better king. Because where those kings who were supposed to be representing God to the people, where they failed, Jesus succeeded. He is to be the ultimate king over his people. Jesus is the great, the better prophet. Israel had a succession of prophets who came and said, this is what God says. And Jesus says, I say to you, because he is God come in human form. And the people were amazed because he spoke as one who had authority. Of course he did, because he is the author of all of this. And Jesus is the greatest prophet, the, uh, the greater one like, like Moses. He is the, the greater, the better priest. Israel had this system of priests who, who made offerings to God. They were mediators between God and the people. They represented fallen, broken people to a holy God. And they offered the sacrifices and they said, this sacrifice represents the, uh, the death that these people need to die. Accept it on their behalf. Forgive them because you're a God of grace. And Jesus is the better priest who offers the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself on behalf of rebellious people and says, forgive them. This sacrifice is in their place. Jesus is the Lamb of God. John the Baptist recognizes it. When he sees Jesus coming to be baptized, he said, look, the Lamb of God. I don't know whether he actually knows what that means at that point. I don't think he realizes yet that Jesus is going to be the sacrifice himself. And yet he knows that Jesus is the Lamb of God uh, to be the perfect sacrifice. And that, we're told later in the New Testament, is something that was anticipated not as a last-minute thing, but was anticipated right from the foundations of the world. Here's uh, Peter's, uh, Peter's first letter. You know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He was chosen before the creation of the world. The book of Revelation says, talks about him as the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. It's a sense in which Jesus had always been the sacrificial lamb. This was God's plan. This was God's intention before Adam and Eve ever fell. He knew what was going to happen. And right before anything had been created, it was God's plan, God's mission to rescue humanity, rebellious humanity. So that the relationship between him and humanity will be based entirely on his goodness and not on ours. David Murray, in his very helpful book, Jesus on Every Page, says, when we read the first chapter of Genesis, we must remember that not only the first lines in the first chapter, but also the whole plan of redemption were already written. Redemption was already planned when God said, let there be light. Interesting, John, in, in his gospel, he echoes the beginning of Genesis. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and so on. You've probably read it at Christmas. And that Word was the life of, of men. Um, uh, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't understood it. And there he's talking about Jesus as the light of the world. And when God creates the first light, right at the very beginning... 
God knows that that light is a, is a kind of a forward echo of Jesus who is the light of the world. He knows what's going to happen. He already has this great plan in mind before anything comes into existence. There are lots of other ways in which the Old Testament looks ahead to Jesus. I've mentioned the suffering servant already. Isaiah talks a lot about the servant, not just as a suffering servant, but as a um, servant in, in other ways. Jesus says, I am, the, I am the perfect, the greater servant. He is the Messiah, God's anointed rescuer, God's promised rescuer coming for his people. He is the new Israel. Israel, living in this relationship with God, uh, supposed to model it to the other nations, supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, and yet failing. But Jesus says, I, do, I am the new Israel. And where they fail, where they rebel, where they mess things up, Jesus does it perfectly. He is faithful and obedient in every way. And um, many of the, uh, the statements that Jesus makes uh, particularly in John's gospel, are, are, are echoing these kinds of ideas. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the, the true vine. I am the bread of life. He, and constantly he's picking up ideas from the, new, from the Old Testament that uh, look, ahead to them, to look ahead to him. He is the, the perfect light of the world. And as Isaiah says, the light of the Gentiles. I have made you a light to the Gentiles. What Israel was supposed to be, Jesus was perfectly. But Israel found themselves under God's condemnation and judgment because they kept turning away from him and worshipping other gods. So they ended up in exile. And for nothing, no good reason within them, entirely because of the goodness of God, after they'd spent some time in exile, God restored them back to their land, restored the temple, restored, restored the city, it was never what it had been before. It was, a, it was a very partial thing. It was a half-hearted thing in some ways. But it was an anticipation of what was going to come because the prophets kept saying, God will restore you. God will restore you. You will live in a perfect relationship with him. That wasn't happening at the end of the Old Testament. It wasn't happening in Jesus' time. But Jesus comes in order to make all of that possible. And here is where the Old Testament is looking forward to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Israel itself, the people of God, found themselves under God's judgment, cut off from him, cut off from the land he'd given them, cut off from the temple where he said, this is where I'm going to dwell. Unable to make sacrifices, unable to put themselves right with God. They were destroyed as a nation and sent off to live in Babylon. But then they were given new life. They were brought back into existence, brought back into a relationship with God. The nation itself of Israel is looking forward to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because as the nation died and rose again, that's exactly what happens to Jesus. But he's not dying for his sin. He's not exiled from God because of what he's done. He's exiled from God, cut off from him because of what we have done. But he rises again because this is God's great plan. And the task of blessing the nations didn't finish with Jesus' death and resurrection. It goes on because we're looking ahead to new creation. To the return of this risen Christ to this world. Who will finally do away with evil and sin and wickedness and rebellion. He will do away with sickness and death and brokenness. And those who have put their trust in him will live with him for eternity in a perfect world. 
in a perfect, intimate relationship with God, with nothing ever getting in the way. So where do we fit into God's plan? We are part of that story. Isn't that an extraordinary story that goes from before the creation of the world to the recreation of the world? From before there was anything to the point where everything becomes perfect and everything damaged and everything broken has gone. And there's a perfect relationship with God. Could there be a bigger story than that? No. But if you are a Christian, you are a part of that story. You are a part of the greatest story that there could ever be. And that is a thrilling privilege beyond anything that any human being can understand. At the end of these few verses that we're looking at, Jesus says, uh, you are witnesses of these things. These things being his death and his resurrection. They are eyewitnesses. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The mission of God is still to bless the nations. It is still to bless the nations, but now we are part of that process. The nations will come, the Old Testament prophet said, the the nations will come to worship Israel's God. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. All nations will be coming to God. The nations will be included in Israel, the covenant people of God. Here's Isaiah. From the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know that there is none besides me. Or later on in that chapter, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. The invitation to be part of God's people, God's special chosen people, goes out way beyond Israel, and it includes all the nations, which is why most of us are here today. There may be one or two of you from a Jewish background. But most of us are part of these other nations. We are part of the Gentiles who were at one point outside of what God was doing in the Old Testament. But now because of what Jesus has done, the blessing has gone to all the nations. And here in Southampton, in early 2014, we have been brought part of this story. We have been able to turn to God. Chris Wright says uh, in his brilliant book, The Mission of God, he says, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. We've been brought here. We've been gathered together. God has brought us into his family to make us his ambassadors, to make us a community who here in Portswood, just a little bit, are a light to the nations. As Christ is seen working through this church, his light is seen going to the nations through what's going on here. This church, the mission of this church, is part of the mission of what God is is doing and has always been doing. It's the mission of God's people to be a blessing to the nations. Yes, Jesus is the ultimate blessing to the nations, but we're part of that too. God wants to bless the nations through his people, the body of Christ. We are to be a community of blessing, as I know Portswood is in in many ways, and wanting to be more and more. 
We are to be witnesses to the truth of the Lord Jesus. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead, verse 46, and repent, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This good news of this fantastic story has to get out there. It needs to be preached to all nations. You may think, I, I can't do that. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. But, but Jesus says, you're witnesses of these things. We're not first-hand witnesses. We haven't seen firsthand the death and resurrection of Jesus. But we do have in our hands this morning the eyewitness accounts of those who were there, who did see him, who touched him, who ate that fish with him, and who know and promise, they guarantee, they witness to the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. Guaranteeing that we can be put right with God. And we witness then to the transforming relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. As we've come to know him and been changed by him, been given an eternal hope, been given meaning, dignity, purpose, sense, a right sense of who we are because we know we're a part of this big story. We are witnesses to the truth of what Jesus is and who he is and what he does. We are to introduce people to Jesus through whom the nations will be blessed. This is to be preached in his name to all nations. You may realize that you're part of that story, but are you thinking about that, how that story plays out in other nations? Are you being faithful in praying for how that story has been worked out in other nations? I know there are a number of people from here who've gone to other places. How aware are you of the genuine partnership that it is, that they are still part of you, and that you're involved with them and what they're doing in other places? Have you thought about going? Could you actually be a key part in how this story plays out in some other part of the world? Are you giving to support what's going on there? Are you involved in what God is doing here so that the gospel is being preached to all nations who are coming to Portswood? International students and others. All nations coming to Southampton. Are we involved in them being able to hear this message? Because where this is going is that people from every tribe and language and nation will be gathered before the throne. Revelation chapter 5, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. People from every tribe and language and nation. A couple of chapters on, Revelation 7. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's where this story is going. That's where our story is going. But if we just think, oh, it's great, I'm part of this story and have no concern about other people, then we are not being faithful to the kind of story that we're part of. Because this is a story of grace. This is a story of, of good news to people who don't deserve it. To people who are alienated from God. If that's been our experience, we need to help that to be the experience of others. And then in the last chapter of the Bible, we read that on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing 
of the nations. Everything that was corrupted in that first rebellion against God in chapter 3 finally will be healed in the new heavens and the new earth. What a great story. What a great message. But there's one other key thing that we need to notice as I finish in, uh, in Luke chapter 24. And that is that it is not a question about, of, of us trying to uh, make this happen uh, in and of ourselves because we've been made witnesses and we, because we have this commission to preach in his name to all nations. Verse 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. That is the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Once we become uh, part of the body of Christ by putting our trust in Jesus, by becoming God's children, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, to empower us, to live out that story, to empower us to be witnesses to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, to empower us to preach in his name to all nations. We can easily sit here on a Sunday morning and, and feel encouraged, and tomorrow morning on a Monday morning in the office feel very weak and powerless. But the Holy Spirit lives in us to empower us, to be a blessing, a practical blessing, a relational blessing, creative blessing, but a blessing in terms of introducing them to Jesus more than anything else. The Holy Spirit wants to use us as part of this story. And the Holy Spirit will equip us to be part of this story and to bring others into that story. And I think that's really very exciting. But I have gone on too long, and I need to hand back to John.